Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Pre-Made Years, session number 170. Hello and welcome to the Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. This week's podcast is a great one with a non-traditional student who is changing careers, coming from the PA world, and now is a first-year medical student. And you'll hear me at, at one point, I, I forgot that he was just in medical school and, and uh, assumed he was a practicing physician, uh, but he is uh, in medical school, and this is Brad. And Brad has an amazing story of, of his pre-med journey and why he decided to go the PA route, and what ultimately made him decide to go back and apply to medical school. So without further ado, let's say hello to Brad. Brad, welcome to the pre-med years. Thank you very much, Ryan. I want to find out when in your journey you decided to become a physician. Well, uh, the little secret that I kept for a while well, for about five to six years of my life is that I wanted to be a physician from the time I was about three to five years old. Um, I ended up having a little bit of a circuitous path to becoming a medical student, which uh, started in undergrad. I went to University of Pittsburgh. I went through their emergency medicine program, which I found was an incredible experience. I became a paramedic there, and I was heavily involved in emergency medical services. About a year after graduating college, I went to a physician assistant school. Uh, the reason for that was, I'm sure we'll get into it later, but some academic issues. And um, and then I just realized I wasn't totally fulfilled, and I applied to medical school, and here I am. Wow. I did not know this about you, that you were a prior PA. Yes. So I was a physician assistant for five years. I'm still a physician assistant, actually. I, I work um, a day or two a month here and there. Um and it's it's a great job. It's a great job if you enjoy clinical medicine. It's a great job if you are okay not always being the top dog. Um, and if you're okay not having all of the physiological and pathological whys to what's going on with your patients. So what I found um, through the years I was working was that I, I had a desire to, A, know more why about what's going on. Uh, with the patient. So I was able to diagnose them. I was able to treat them appropriately. And I had some basis on, on why they had the disease process they had. But I really, I wanted to go more in depth. I wanted the, the full experience. 
I also found that when I wanted to start some programs, I had a couple ideas for reducing emergency department uh, usage through various programs using physician assistance and emergency medical services. That really requires a physician champion to get that going and to spearhead that. And uh, I wasn't able to accomplish that on my own as a physician assistant. I'm not sure whether that's for lack of trying or possible. At that time, it was, by the way, the laws are set up in New Jersey. Um, but I, I felt that, again, if I wanted to start some systems-based programs, becoming a physician would be the best way to go. Uh, yeah. And it was honestly all I wanted to do. I always wanted to be a physician, and that doesn't go away by going to PA school. It's it's interesting you talk about kind of needing that physician champion because way back in the day, I interviewed Kate, uh, also an old pre-medder. I'm sure you know her. Um, she was mm-hmm. 56 years old at, in her third year of medical school a prior nurse and she had talked about the fact that she thought that she would be able to have more doors open to her um, for various programs and and different things as a physician versus being a nurse. So that was one of her interests in going back, but I want to go back. So, so always wanting to be a physician, this is an interesting discussion because I'm in the middle of writing a, a medical school interview book, right? for okay. pre-meds to prepare for their med school interviews. And I put that question out there. What what questions do you think you'd want covered in the book? What what would you like to hear answers to in case you, you are uh, approached with them? And one <clears throat> of those questions was, why a physician versus being a PA versus, versus being a, an NP? So it's interesting to we'll get your perspective a little bit uh, on that as we as we talk. But you you talked about it a little bit. So it sounds like you were basically pre med. You wanted to be pre med your whole life. What yes. What derailed you? So I, I was pre med all through college. I did pre med classes. I uh, honestly was derailed by physics and organic chemistry. Um, I got discouraged by that once I graduated college, realizing I'd have to take summer classes or or take another uh, semester. And I looked at it and I said, well, I'm a paramedic now. I can do some pretty neat things as a paramedic. And physician assistants were actually born out of the paramedic model in the military down by Duke University uh, in the 60s. And I was like, well, it seems like the next logical step for me might actually be going to become a PA instead of going to medical school. Um, so I, I was a little bit down on myself. I was hard on myself. Uh, I was like, oh, I'll never get an A in organic chemistry, well, talk, which luckily changed. Talk I'm a sorry. little bit about those those classes. What what was it about physics and <clears throat> orgo? What what did you fail the classes or did you um, get the B minus and where the typical so pre-med student? Orgo, orgo the first time I failed. Uh, physics. So, all right. Well, so with full disclosure, I'll go through my entire history. <laughs> the first time I took orgo, I failed. I got a D in the class. Uh, the second time I took organic chemistry, I got an F in the class. And the third time I took organic chemistry, I got an A in Orgo 1 and Orgo 2. Physics, the first time I took it, I got a C-. minus. The second time I took it, I withdrew. And the third time I got an A. A lot of that comes down to how much do you actually want to do well in the class. Do you want to sit down and you want to study? Or do you want to do what I did? And when I was taking a summer class, are you going to work at night, stay up all night, and then go to class and then try to study in between? It doesn't work that way. If you're going to commit to going to medical school, you need to commit to going to medical school, and you have to put the time in for the classes. And that's pretty much took me about seven years to figure out that that's what I need to do, but I did it. <laughs> yeah. Were you going to? Were you working at night because you had to, or was it just something that interested you and you thought it was good for your applications? 
Um, it, I enjoy working at night. Uh, I worked at night as a physician assistant before I decided to go back to medical school for about two years. I was full-time at night, um, and I worked at night as a paramedic for a while. I, it's a different environment, different people you work with. It's, um, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy the night the nightlife as yeah, far but as work. Working at night while going to school. What, oh, while going to school. Yeah. That, that, um, so it, it, that was in 2007, uh, summer of 2007 that I was doing that. Um, that was really more of a, my priority right now is working and I'm going to go to school also. So I, I, it was, came down to not setting my priorities right. I could have worked during the day if I wanted to. I just chose not to. Okay. Very interesting. All right. So you, you don't do so well the first time you take or go in physics, uh, but you retook them. How quickly did you retake them? Well, the first time I retook them was the summer after I graduated college, which was in, uh, the June, July semesters of summer school, uh, in 2007. And those didn't go successfully either. And that's when PA school kicked in. Okay. So you retook them thinking, okay, med school's still on the radar, retook them again, did poorly and said, maybe I'm not cut out for this. What about a PA? Yep. And I had more, I didn't know much about being a PA at that time. So when I looked into it, the more I looked into it, the more appealing it was to me. And I legitimately did want to be a PA and I thought it would be good. And I was like, I thought I was over the, I want to be a doctor phase. Um, and that wasn't necessarily so. And then 2013, I started take Oregon physics again. And that's when I did well. Okay. So you, you didn't, you, you weren't keeping in the back of your mind that becoming a PA was just a stepping stone to becoming a physician. You legitimately thought this is what I'll do instead of. Absolutely. Uh, I, one of the things you are asked when you are applying to PA school is why do you want to be a PA and not a nurse, a nurse practitioner, a physician? Um, so you have to be able to answer that. And at the time, I did want to be a PA, and I didn't think I wanted to be a physician. What actually really got in my mind that I should be a physician were some of the fellows and attendings I was rotating with when I was a second-year PA student. Uh, we rotate with medical students and have the same responsibilities as they do. Um, a lot of them were telling me that I should have been a doctor and I don't know where that came from. I don't know why they would bring that up to me being that I was a PA student, but that kind of got in my head and it stuck in my head. I still talk to the attending that told me that to this day. She, I update her with my progress. She lives in California now. Hmm. Um, so that that was really one of the things that got me going. Were they telling you this specifically or were they telling all the PA students that rotated with them? No, they were telling me specifically. I, there was there was no animosity towards PAs at all. We all worked well together, but um, they were telling me specifically like I should have gone to medical school, and I don't know if it has to do with my personality or how I took on workloads. Um, I I hope they were right because I'm in medical school now. So <laughs> that's very interesting. <laughs> I would love to hear the the reasoning behind that. Yeah. All right. Well, me too. <laughs> so so you mentioned that during your PA interviews, you were asked. Why a PA versus an NP versus a physician, which is the, the same question I was bringing up earlier, why a physician? So right. so you've been through both interviews now, which is interesting. Yes, How did I've, you answer that question back then? Uh, well, back then I said that I was trained as a paramedic in college, and the physician assistant model was based on uh, military uh, combat medics coming back from Vietnam. And... I just looking at the history, what I was used to doing as a paramedic and being able to be a physician assistant where I can expand my skills, able to go in the operating room, able to see patients on my own, prescribe, diagnose, treat. 
I was able to do all that and expand my, my medical knowledge, which is one thing that's very important to me, but I still had the ability to have a physician there for backup if I needed and uh, someone to kind of like keep me accountable and, and look over what I'm doing. Um, but then as I, as I continued through PA school in the clinical years and started working as a PA, I realized that um, it, wasn't, it wasn't a bad job. I still enjoy my jobs that I have now. I don't, I don't have any animosity towards being a PA. I enjoy being a PA. Uh, but it's just not what I want to do for my entire career. So it's interesting. I, I want to talk a little bit more later about you still being a PA because I, I find that okay. interesting. And I <laughs> I would think that would be kind of against the law-ish, but I'm, I'm sure it's not because <laughs> you're doing it. But all right, so so you answer the question as a, as a PA applicant. Yes. How, if you were asked... The question during your your medical school interviews, how did you answer that, or how would you have answered if if you so, weren't asked it? So I was asked that question during my medical school interviews. I'm asked that question from every person that I meet. I asked that question by my personal physician. So it's <laughs> it's actually a very common question that I get, uh, and it really comes down to I always wanted to be a physician, and if you truly in your heart want to be a physician, and that is your path, that is your destiny, if you believe in that. You will always want to be a physician. No matter what you do that is medically based, you will always want to be a physician. It's not going to go away. Um, and that's, that's really the, the core of why I did this. It also comes down to the other reasons I told you about the, um, about the systems-based programs and learning more about medicine in general and physiology. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it comes down to I just want to be a physician. Yeah, the the few PAs that I know that have gone the MD route, and actually, this uh, past weekend as we're recording this, I was at a, a pre med festival down at in Tampa and was talking to a fifty three year old chiropractor who wants to go back and uh, become a DO to expand his knowledge. Um, so it's a it's a common theme among those that don't go and get their medical degree and uh, to to want, wish that they had more knowledge but you have you've worked in both uh in both settings now so you know what it's like to work as a PA you know what it's like to work as a physician what what does well, it I'm a first year medical student still oh, okay okay so I haven't but still still you're you're in you're in that world and, yes, and you see world. that world. Yes. What what is the the difference there? Because so so let me let me frame it a little bit differently. All the time we hear the question from from pre med students saying, you know what, I I don't know if I'm cut out for medical school. Just like your story, my grades are this. Uh, maybe I should just be a PA. How do you tell somebody that has that line of thinking? how to make up their minds, whether being a PA is going to be enough for them versus needing to go to medical school? So there's there's a couple things that, that fall into play with this. And first, I'm going to give you a brief overview of the different jobs that I currently have as a PA because I kept all my per diem jobs. One of them is at an urgent care center. At the urgent care center, I'm the only provider there. I see whatever walks in the door. There's no physician on site. I do have electronic communication with them. Um, but it's pretty much up to me to take care of the patients. I work in an emergency department at an urban um, academic emergency department um, where we're in the urgent care area, which is pretty much triage. So again, I'm seeing everything there, but then I work with different attendings more closely. Some of them want to see every patient, some of them don't. 
this is one area where if you're the type of person where you want to come up with a treatment plan, you know what's right for your patient and you want to do that. If you have an attending that has a different point of view than you, then you might want to become a physician so that you can back up your point of view. Um, and then I also work in surgery, in trauma surgery and critical care, where, again, there's more attending involvement. It's a very autonomous service for the PAs there, but you're not the one that's leading the surgery. You're not the one making the final decisions on rounds in the ICU. So if you want to be the one that's making the final decisions, if you are okay bearing the responsibility of total patient care, then become a physician. If you're okay being heavily involved in patient care, being heavily involved in procedures and being clinically very competent and really building yourself up, because that's what a lot of being a good PA is, is getting educated yourself um, post-school, um, then become a PA. If you if you want to treat patients and see patients and, and that's what you want to do, that's fine. But if you want to be kind of the the more of the leader and more in, more in charge, then go to medical school. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm telling everyone that PAs aren't leaders because they absolutely are leaders. There's PAs in great leadership positions in hospitals. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, the supervising physician is the overarching leader. So if that's the role you're looking for, then go to medical school. So you, you answered my question, or my, my, uh, my query earlier about you okay. still working as a PA because you're a medical student. So you, you don't have that right. degree yet. Because once you get that degree, then I think your skills would override your PA skills and you wouldn't be able to work as a PA anymore. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny because... I, I mentioned that my undergraduate degree was in emergency medicine where I became a paramedic, and I still hold a certification as a paramedic, and I still have worked as a paramedic while I was a PA. So that was kind of a similar situation where I'm a paramedic, but my PA license kind of would possibly trump the paramedic one. Um, so I everything is separate, and, and legally I'm a medical student while I'm at medical school, and I have no authority to do anything as a medical student. But when I'm working as a physician assistant, I have a medical license, and that's in my name. That's separate from anything that has to do with school. So that's really, um, I don't think there really is any conflict of interest there. And the school is aware that I work, and they haven't said anything. Yeah. But once you get your degree, then I would assume you, oh, yes. you couldn't be both a PA. and <laughs> Like if you wanted to no. moonlight as a PA. So I, I've actually toyed with that idea. I, so the two specialties I'm interested in are in emergency medicine and surgery. Uh, and I don't know where I'll go. Who know, maybe I'll end up in pediatrics at the end of the day. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, I actually toyed with that idea. Like, yeah, I know residency schedules are really, really hard. I've seen what the residents do. But uh, sometimes they get out like 4 o'clock, and then I can go work a half a shift in the <laughs> ER somewhere. <laughs> but I, I probably wouldn't do that. I, I'm married. Hopefully I'll have kids at some point. So I, I would like to see them too at yeah. some point. Okay. So I want to I wanna follow up a little bit more with this the, the PA side of things. Okay. Uh, to, to try to give pre-meds, uh, even a, a little bit clearer picture. As as a PA, di- did you ever see or did you ever feel yourself that you were limited in what you were allowed to see or allowed to do, quote-unquote, because you were only a PA? Uh, no, not at all. And part of that has to do with the positions I got myself into. Um, one of the, my first job in trauma surgery and critical care when I started working there, it was a PA-run service. So there was an attending, and then there were PAs. There were zero residents. So trauma resuscitations was on the PAs. The consults in the ER was on the PAs. First assisting in the operating room is on the PAs. ICU is on the PAs. Um, so I had exposure to the full gamut of patients, critical care, not even close to being critical care, everything. 
um, which is something that I personally wanted, and that's what I looked for in a job. So I, I will not take a job where I'm limited in what I can see. I like seeing sick patients. I really love critical care. Uh, so same thing with the emergency department. When I started working there, it was on Tuesday nights covering for when the residents weren't there. So it was just me and the attendings, and I saw everything that walked in the door. So uh, I think there might be some jobs where PAs might be limited in what they see. But if again, a lot of being a PA has to do with what you seek out. If you seek out a job with a lot of autonomy where you get to do a lot of fun stuff and see a lot of different types of patients, you'll be able to get that. And on the flip side of that, if you seek out a job where you're doing discharge summaries from 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, and you have no nights, no weekends, no holidays, there's that too, which is, I think, a benefit to being a PA. Yeah, very interesting. Now, obviously, one of the biggest benefits that students weigh as they're deciding this career path is Two years versus uh, two years of school versus four years plus a residency. Mm-hmm. That's a, a huge difference as well. So you 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 got the bug to go back. How did you make those decisions and figure out what you needed to do to to improve your application and and apply to medical school? So my biggest piece of advice for everyone who's applying to medical school, no matter where you're applying, is form relationships. Meet the admissions, people in the admissions office, meet the dean of admissions if possible, meet their secretary, meet everybody, and form relationships. There's thousands of people applying to medical school, and unless you make yourself known, you're a number. If you make yourself known, then maybe you have people on the inside that pull for you a little bit harder because they know you, and they know how hard you're working, and they know what you want, and the type of person you are. So I actually was fortunate enough to um, develop a relationship with the dean at my medical school, uh, New Jersey Medical School, Dr. Heinrich, who is a phenomenal person. Uh, He actually met with me every couple months for two years, um, and I am extremely grateful for him for taking the opportunity to do that. At the very beginning, he looked at my transcripts, um, and I asked him to be very blunt with me, and he was, and he said, look, you need to get A's in all the pre-med classes you have to do, and you need to do well in the MCAT. And he said, I'm not going to tell you what well on the MCAT is, but you just need to do well. So I, so I took that advice. And I'm like, okay, so A's and, and well on the MCAT. Uh, and then I did that. I, it took me two tries in the MCAT, but I did well on the MCAT the second try, got A's in the classes I needed. I kept in contact with the admissions office um, every couple months. You don't want to bombard them either because they, they have a ton on their plate as well. And uh, just to meet people, form relationships. If you know other people in the community who know physicians that may be on the admissions committee, see if you can sit down and talk with them in their office. Just get their take on your personal statement, on your application, where you should go, how they like the medical school. Just get to know people. And the more you get to know people, the less of a number you become and the more of an actual applicant and a person you are. And I think that really is one of the best things you can do to help get yourself into medical school. I couldn't agree more. And Carrie, back in session 74, again, another non-traditional student, she talked, when, when I talked to her, she talked about her path and how she reached out and had relationships with two or three different medical schools and kept them abreast along every step of her journey back into to school and, and her grades and what she was planning on doing. And it ultimately paid off for her. It's, it's funny, I'm, I'm working with a student now who's reapplying to schools and she works as a pathologist's assistant mm-hmm. in a hospital that's associated with a medical school. And that's where she wants to go to medical school. She needs to meet people. She, and, and so I asked her, we, we had our first call the other day. We're talking <laughs> and, and, and I said, 
who are you telling? Who knows that you work with that you're applying to medical school? And she goes, mm, maybe one or two people. I'm like, no. She, <laughs> she's working with the medical students, the residents. I'm like, oh. you need to tell everybody that you're, planning, you're applying to medical school and see who will help you and reach out for help because they will help. Yes, uh, absolutely. I, I can't agree with that more either. And as, especially the medical students. I, had, I work with some people who are at the school I'm at now who also pop their head in every so often and be like, hey, remember Brad Chernox is applying to medical school. Don't forget about him. Uh, <laughs> even something informal like that. It just, it just brings your file back to the forefront and it, it helps. It really does. See, I, had other, I, I had other PAs who I work with coming to me at work being like, hey, did, do you know Dr. So-and-so? I said, no. Well, he was talking about you the other day. <laughs> and it turns out that Dr. So-and-so was on the admissions committee. So, awesome. so it, it's a small world, the medical community. People know each other. People talk. So be nice to everybody and uh, and make relationships. Even with that, what seemed to be a, a huge in at the school and having those connections, how broadly did you apply? So I, as I mentioned before, I am married. And uh, my wife supports me in everything I do that involves being within three to four hours of her family. Which is fine. Um, so I applied to the to the New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut area. The furthest west I went was uh, Pittsburgh. I applied to LeCom out there, uh, but I, I was really hoping to get into Rutgers uh, NJMS, which I'm very fortunate and thankful that I did. Um, so, so yeah, I, I uh, applied to about twenty five, thirty different schools. I'm lucky to have a lot of medical schools in the area as well. Yeah, and even with that connection there, do you feel like it was a standard application process, interview process, you don't feel like it was a, a shoe-in for you? Oh, no, not at all. Um, and if, if you'd like, I'll tell you about how I actually got accepted. Yeah, that's here. Um, so I had met with Dr. Heinrich a few times. I met with uh, Ms. Rivero, who's the assistant dean of admission. She's also phenomenal. Um, and they, they both told me, they said, look, we, you obviously want to do this, but you need to do, you need to do your part. And, um, my part included doing well on the boards and doing well on, uh, in the classes. So I had an interview at the beginning of January, I guess that would be 2014. And I was ecstatic that I finally got the interview. I'd applied early decision and I was put into the regular admissions pool and that was just months of hearing nothing. Every so often I'd send an update email. Um, and I started to get a little bit like, Oh, well maybe I'm not going to go there, but hopefully I'll go somewhere. And in the, in the interim, I ended up finding a DO school that I really, really liked as well. Um, so January I had my admission, my admissions interview, I felt it went relatively well and then didn't hear anything about six to eight weeks later, I get an email and, uh, with NJMS for anyone that's applying, uh, if when you're applying NJMS after your interview, you do not lose sight of your phone because the only way that you're going to find out you get it accepted is when Dr. Heinrich calls you personally. Um, so I was just sitting by my phone all day for a couple months looking forward to ring, nothing happened. <laughs> then I got an email. And it said that you've been placed on the wait list. Oh. So I was, I was a little down there, but hey, you know what? Wait list is not being rejected. So a couple more months go by, and then I stop looking at my phone as much. I'm like, all right, well, maybe it's not going to happen. I start checking SDN. I'm like, oh, well, maybe people are talking about the interview process and how things are going, whether they're still accepting anyone off of the wait list there. And not much happening. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe it's not happening. So in the meantime, I was accepted to another DO school. Um, and I was, I was happy about that. And on June, it was mid to end of June, uh, 2014, 2014, um, actually no, 2015, I'm missing my dates up, but whatever, 
I think it was, no, it was 2015. Because I got this year. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so 2015, I'm driving down to sign a lease in an apartment at this school I was going to go to. And I get a phone call from a restricted number while I was pulling in the parking lot of the leasing office. And it was Dr. Heidrich. And uh, I had never been so happy, excited the time I got married. Um, never been so happy. It was really phenomenal. Um, so the wait lists do move, and I'm sure it's for other schools as well. Uh, just don't be discouraged. Be persistent. Stay in touch with people. And that's that's what I did. What did you do in that interim? Did Were you sending letters, update letters, letters of intent? How were you bugging I, them? I was. I sent a letter of intent. I mean, they got to the point where having face-to-face meetings weren't really going to do anything anymore because I had already applied. I had already interviewed my applications in committee. So I don't think that was going to help. So I did send a letter of intent. I don't know how much weight those hold, and I'm pretty sure they knew that I intended on going there. Um, but I sent a letter of intent, and every two months or so, I'd send an update. And, and it, I wouldn't send an update if I didn't have anything to say. So I'd make sure I was doing something new or something I didn't tell them before. And um, that's that's how it went. Actually, the what got my application to committee is I sent an email telling them that hey, I really want to go here, but I have to sign a lease in an apartment for another school. And two days later, I heard from them. Mm-hmm. You called their bluff. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know if I'd call it that, but uh, for all intents and purposes, yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's interesting. So I, I, I know that question is asked a lot among pre-meds. It's like, do I mention to a medical school that I really want to go to that I have an acceptance somewhere else? Uh, be, or will they just say, oh, he or she's already taken. Let's just think about somebody else. But my answer is always no. If if that's the school you want to go to, let them know that you're you're in demand, and hopefully they'll Absolutely. they'll take another look at you. Absolutely. There's so many people applying that as much as they may like you and they want you there. If they don't hear from you, they may forget about you, or or you might not be as high on the list as someone else. But if you show that extra effort that you want to go to their school then I don't see any reason why that wouldn't uh, look in your favor. And, and I'm, on the, I'm on the other side of it now, too. I do student interviews for prospective applicants. And um, I, when someone tells me, look, I've gotten into other schools, but I really want to come here, that, that goes in the review. That sounds good. Like That, yeah. that means they want to be there. You know, it, it reminds me back when, when you're, you're dating and you're, you're single and no, no, nobody wants you. But as soon as you get a girlfriend, it's like all these other, these, all these other women come out of the woodworks, <laughs> right? It's just yeah, something it was, about those. It, it was one medical school, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> it's all it takes. Well, it's actually two, yeah. right? Because well, one yeah. wanted you first and the other one said, no, 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 I want him more. <laughs> yes. And I guess the good things come with those who wait. Yes. So when exactly was that phone call? Like what time of day or no. Like, so, was, so school starts typically around August and you were going was, to sign a lease. I'm assuming it was pretty close to August. Of, it was the end of June. I was holding out as long as I could on signing that lease. Um, so that was at the end of June around probably, I think it was June 24th. Actually, I was, it was a weekday. I was driving down and, uh, just as I was playing the parking lot, I got the call. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I think it's a pretty good story. <laughs> All right. So as we're recording this, it's, what month is it? It's February 1st. Yes. Students that are in the application cycle right now that haven't heard from their schools for interview invites and are still holding out hope, what do you say to them to keep them motivated? 
I mean, I think they need to stay persistent. If they if they want to be a physician, they really want it. They need to stay on it. Um, and I would send the update letters. I would not bombard with too much. You don't want to be calling every week. You don't want to be sending an email every week. And make sure that you have a person that you can talk to. Uh, I know a lot of schools have generic emails for their prospective applicants to send update letters to. Get the name of a person and, again, form a relationship with them and let them really know, I want to go to your school. I want to be a physician. I'm going to do well, and I'm, I don't want to do well here. And you have the, I know the, was it the May deadlines for determining mm. what school you're going to go to. Yeah. So strategize with that too. So the schools are going to know in May that there's a whole bunch of people that said they were going to come that aren't coming anymore. So that's a good time to get your name out there again and let them know like, hey, I still want to come there. I still want to be a doctor. I want to be a student at your, at your institution. All right. Again, that was Brad. Great story going from the PA world to the physician world and all of the great stuff that he wants to do as a physician and instead of or on top of the the abilities the the skills and everything that he's learned as a PA taking it up that extra level so I do get that question a lot PA versus MD or DO this is a great uh, story of a PA now turning uh, MD or DO, uh, he's in an MD school, but it'll it it's a great story on on why. And if you have those questions of deciding between PA versus MD or DO, then I, I hope you got a lot out of the discussion today. I do want to thank our sponsor for today's podcast, and that's Next Step Test Prep. Next Step Test Prep offers personalized MCAT tutoring. They also have 10, now they have 10 MCAT 2015 or new MCAT practice tests that you can purchase and use. They have books that you can use to study for the MCAT. They have a ton of great stuff. But what they're known for is their one-on-one personalized MCAT tutoring. No matter where you are in your MCAT prep, an MCAT tutor will work with you one-on-one from start date to your MCAT test date to make sure that you're getting the most out of the MCAT. Go check them out at medicalschoolhq.net slash next step. And that using that link will take you to a form. Fill that out. You'll get a discount on their services. You can check out their books, their practice tests. Again, medicalschoolhq.net slash next step. I do want to take a minute to thank the few people that left us ratings and reviews in iTunes. If you haven't done so, you can go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes, and that will take you right into iTunes, where it takes two minutes to leave us a review. This one comes from Steve, 173-947-278282, who says, great podcast. I've listened to the last 50 or so episodes, and I believe this is the number one pre-med advice out there. So thank you for that, Steve, 173-947-27282. My piece of advice for you, change your username. (laughs) Thank you for leaving that review. We have Frankie B573 that says, inspirational, informative, and entertaining. Started, uh, Frankie started his or her pre-med journey at the age of 27, which again is is young. If you listen to any of our stuff, that's, that's a good age to start. Um, you can be traditional, non-traditional, it doesn't matter. Um, so Frankie started at 27 and uh, have looked for as many resources as I could 
uh, as I could to gain insight and witness others' experiences in their pre-med journeys. Uh, and they say, thanks for putting the time into this podcast and site for us, and please keep up the awesome work. I will keep up the awesome work because you asked me to and because you took the time to leave us a rating interview, which I do greatly appreciate. Again, you can go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes if you uh, would like to leave us a rating interview as well. We have one more here. Sean Athon Bryn, something like that, says uh, uh, that this podcast is a lifeline. Just want to say thank you so much. Super helpful in wading through the pitfalls of a pre-med, especially for non-trads like myself. So thank you for that uh, review. Again, medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. Well, I hope you got a ton of great information out of the podcast today. If you want more great information, go to mededmedia.com. That's M-E-D-E-D media.com and find out all the great stuff that we're doing here at the medical school headquarters. And don't forget to go check out Next Step Test Prep, our sponsor for today, over at medicalschoolhq.net slash next step. And while you're doing that, I hope you have a great week. And I hope you join us next week here at the pre-med years.